This episode of the Free Thought Project podcast was sponsored by Control Pew. Interested in 3D printing but don't know where to start? ControlPew.com is a great resource for beginners getting into the 3D printing arena. On their website, there's a handy guide to getting started and walks you through the first 10 steps, including what printer to get, what types of material, the setup and calibration. Control Pew is frequently being banned from social media, so make sure while you're on the site to take a moment to sign up for their newsletter for regular updates. Again, the site is controlpew.com. That is spelled C-T-R-L-P-E-W.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Free Thought Project Podcast. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Hello again, free thinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor-in-chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week was once called one of the most dangerous people on the internet. He created the very first 3D printed gun in 2013 and has been a pioneer in the 3D printing firearm, crypto, and gun rights arena for nearly a decade. Our guest this week is Cody Wilson. Cody has risked his life and livelihood to act as a barrier between the federal government and American gun rights in a quickly changing digital landscape, including taking on the State Department, which led to a 2018 settlement with the feds and a 2021 Ninth Circuit court injunction against states trying to limit the sharing of his files. Cody is also a writer and penned the book, Come and Take It, The Gun Printer's Guide to Thinking Free, and a subject of a documentary called The New Radical. I've followed Cody's work for nearly 10 years now, and getting this interview was not easy as Cody doesn't do too many interviews, but persistence and determination does pay off. The man, the myth, the legend, the man who ended the gun control debate, Cody Wilson. Welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. So it was uh, definitely a real challenge to get you on the show. I think I probably spoke to at least like three of you different people within your camp. But uh, I'm, I'm persistent. I appreciate challenges. So I could only imagine you're super busy. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, man, I, uh, I feel guilty. But you know what? Uh, maybe it'll, be, it'll be more rewarding, right? We'll have a <laughs> For sure. So you're widely credited as the man who made the first 3D printed firearm which was the Liberator back in 2013. I know you've been in this world for a long time now, but what gave you like the premonition or foresight to utilize a emerging technology, a brand new technology, which was 3D printers for gun rights? Sure. I, I, I don't think that I was the first person to think of it. And in fact, when I started meeting and like learning about 3D printed technology from all these people who, who worked with the technology back in the 80s, they were all saying the same thing the same things to themselves they were like damn you know if the materials get better you know what we can do with this stuff and, I, and i've seen you know old twilight zone episodes of like uh something like the star trek replicator where men imagine that, what if there's just a, a device that can like you know spin up a gun for you on command i mean lots of people have had this thought before me i think the only the only difference that i'll credit is that i think our understanding of the internet allowed us to imagine 
of distribution in, in a new way. And, and I was directly inspired by WikiLeaks and Julian Assange in 2011. So it wasn't even a supreme philosophical insight. I just kind of intuited like a new mode of internet politics based off Assange and his politics. So I, I, I don't need to say, you know, that there was no other genius beyond that. It was just like, okay, see a, a move, implement a move. <laughs> No, that that uh, actually makes sense. I think there's quite a few of us who are really inspired by Julian Assange. And speaking of which, you know, obviously he's still in a cage. Um, yeah. And uh, about a week ago, we saw an alleged 3D gun printing operation busted in Calgary. Police have issued dozens of charges. And actually, just a few days ago, there was a video circulating around the internet showing ATF agents showing up at the homes of gun owners who had ordered solvent traps, which for those listening who aren't familiar, I guess they're, they're used to clean firearms, but apparently they could be modified into silencers as well. So like, how often do you worry about your operation, Defense Distributed, being the next politically targeted organization by the Fed Boys? I feel like I've gotten one good round of that in the past, uh, maybe two, it, it's hard to say, but luckily there's still enough of these groups around that you know the ATF has to kind of choose its targets or, you know, the, the higher level DOJ operations have to be, they have to be judicious in who they go after. So, you know, maybe my, my method or my approach has, has delayed new, you know, federal attention, at least for now. Uh, but in, in general, I, I expect some type of run-in with the feds about every three or four years. That's, that's been the pace. That's been the tempo I've seen so far. So uh, that's a more practical answer than you probably want for me. I, I can give you like a, reasons for that answer. But yeah, uh, if you're a good gun company, a good 3D printed gun company, you should expect federal attention about every four years. Yeah, I saw you say that in a recent interview you did with uh, Reason Magazine earlier, where you, um, you're like, as long as you're not pissing anybody off, you know, you can pretty much keep doing this. Without... <laughs> yeah, my, I, I think that's true. I mean, look, the, you mentioned diversified machine or, or basically like you mentioned the ATF going after people who sell 80% silencers or solvent traps, these kinds of things. That, that was a concerted effort or that was around the same time as their new rule on receivers. They really want to wrap up all this stuff, receivers, 80%, anything on, on the internet. They've, that's been their clear directive. And there was a holdover like group of people or stay behind operations since Obama who, who had that as their target. But now with, with Biden, uh, it was perfected. They were given carte blanche to do it and almost by any method. So there isn't, there is a new effort. Like you, you may have seen the FRT trigger stuff on the internet. I mean, Anything new is decidedly forbidden. And the ATF is trying to create regulations where like, you know, you have no idea what's allowed and you have to get ATF determination before you can proceed. Anybody who's bold enough to not do that is a target right now, like the FRT trigger guy. Yeah, it's completely arbitrary too, man. Like the, the, the why are they going after people for trying to make their guns quieter? You know, when, when have we ever seen, you know, so someone like, have there been snipers where you, I mean, obviously there's no silencer on the market that's going to silence a bullet that can take you out from a hundred yards away, you know, and uh, you have yeah. to have like this federal firearms act license to, to get a silencer. It's just sure. it's completely arbitrary and silly. Everything after the NFA, yeah, has now been kind of baked in by at least the progressive wing uh, of, of the government to say like, well, these things were clearly regulated for moral reasons, right? Like because like they target a feature of a gun that's very clearly criminal in its origin or it's, you know, it's germ. And so obviously a silencer is like a deadly, you know, movie style killer accessory. But, you know, we, we need only look at New Zealand or other countries that are even more progressive than ours who somehow didn't have this regulation and therefore haven't developed that moral vocabulary yet. You can just go get a silencer in New Zealand. So 
I, thanks for this opportunity. I never get the chance to say anything about silencers, but it just yeah, some countries actually require you to use a silencer so you don't bother your neighbors <laughs> when you're shooting. You know, yeah, I I can totally see in an urbanized environment like okay, the the victory should be for silencers so that like you know yeah. we, the, we diminish nuisance or something. But obviously, the gun control groups and the powers that be who kind of seized you know the the policy making in this country have just said that like well everything pre 1994 is like you know sacrosanct and like was delivered by god and like we have to have that and then only increase the regulations we can't actually liberalize anything yeah it's sure. just like the it just shows the ignorance of politicians in america man like they had that recent um congressman or senator they were deposing somebody about 3d printing guns on the congressional floor and the the guy said he pulled out a pistol grip, you know, that, that straps to your arm for people that have one arm or whatever. And, and um, he called it a bump stock and said it makes a yeah. gun fully automatic. So it's it's no surprise that they would go after silencers, too. You see the you see the, the evil men in the movie screw on a silencer. So the, the these politicians who are fucking stupid, they think that, oh, that makes that gun more dangerous. You know, and it's just it goes to show, you know, how silly everything is and all this legislation that absolutely even when Biden banned guns recent or banned 3D printed guns online and everything recently, um, it does. It's not going to work. It's uh, the the gun kits that he banned. You can still print all that stuff, right? It's just mm -hmm. the, none of this stuff actually stops any of it. And we saw that recently. I don't know if you're familiar with it in Houston when they did a, a gun buyback program mm -hmm. uh, a few weeks ago, and somebody came in and sold all these different gun parts. They were like liberators, dude. They were like the cheesy bunch of liberators in there and then a bunch of like lowers that were 3d printed and the dude made a couple thousand bucks off of this buyback program yeah and then I, the, the, I, they I, were forced to say the next day that now this doesn't count because these don't actually qualify as guns so it's like they, wait what did you ban yeah. then <laughs> yeah 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 actually you know that happened in I have one of the guy's gift cards if you want to see him well he came no by shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Okay, yeah. Thank you for your patience. Uh, so this is this is one of the gift cards from the Houston buyback. This was Mr. Cobra Economics who got it, and That's uh, fucking awesome. I can't, you know. That's so yeah, he's a, he's a fan, obviously. And then we sent a team too to go sell our stuff, um, right? We we wanted to sell finished receivers. Sorry, I'm like out of out of view now. But they wouldn't they wouldn't accept our stuff at all. At least they accepted you know his stuff, uh, and you know he was. It's it's like you said. He was trying to demonstrate the exact point. You mentioned where like they don't even know what a gun is and the things that are considered a gun by the feds have have no cognizance by the local authorities but then when the local authorities find out that they've been duped the purpose of their gun buyback fails because they change the policy to say oh fine then no no 3d printed guns well then you're never going to get 3d printed guns off the street are you right <laughs> sure and I, you know i i mean to speak to some of the regulations you mentioned that, that biden did just to clear up some of that stuff for your audience but I'm happy to return to that if you want or you know, for sure, man. Yeah. Just kind of stepping back for a second. People have been killed for less than these, you know, claimed silencers as well. I mean, we just have to look at Ruby Ridge or Waco for for that example. But the, the Biden administration seems kind of hell bent recently on focusing on domestic extremists uh, in this country. While, you know, of course, they ignore the real terrorists, which are these federal agencies and institutions. Do you feel like this is like the new trajectory for the U.S. or is this simply like a political play for Biden after the rise of Trump and right wing populism? Uh, clearly, there's some mileage out of and sorry, there's a train here. We're, we're by a train station. Um, no but clearly, like, there's some payoff by like the security forces in the state and the popular media 
like focusing on right-wing activism or right-wing folk activism, whatever you want to call it, um, and redesignating it like a security threat or something like that's working for the expansion of the power of the state. So obviously on that level, we know like, well, it'll, they'll keep doing it as long as it keeps working or there's no actual pushback. And unfortunately, like the MAGA element in this society has no, has no allies or interested third parties within the state. And I mean, just like the state structure of, of the United States, like basically the, the actual power structure, surely in, in certain, you know, state legislatures, it, it can be aligned, but uh, this this MAGA movement and it's styling itself as opposed to the FBI or opposed to you know official power and any kind of meaningful action is always going to be upcycled into justification for additional surveillance, additional control, uh, like the trucker protests in Canada. We're just I, I do think to answer your question, we're going to see only more and more of this, especially now that like actual American Nazism or fascism is just like. Uh, it doesn't exist. Now we can kind of find it under any rock we turn and like that'll be the purpose of government. And so, no, I don't expect anything good to happen and, and it, only to continue in this direction. And Trump and his like to, to continue to be a, a justification for you know new measures. It's hilarious that they're focusing on Trump to implement these measures, given the fact that he was like a hardcore attacker of this, you know, of, of gun rights. He banned bump stocks. He uh, he advocated for removal of due process. You know, take the guns first. Go do due, due process yeah. second. He actually he, tried to ban three D printed yeah. uh, the you know three D printed uh, plans online, and and the ninth, the federal circuit Ninth Circuit I think uh, overturned that. But yeah, like how are you going to demon use Trump as this impetus behind your push to do this when he was like right in line with you? <laughs> uh, he's he's still something like an eighties you know, Democrat or, you know, I, it's, he's a New York Democrat. Right. But, but even those days now, like, uh, are so far gone and so outside of institutional memory that an eighties Democrat is considered a, a radical neo-Confederate, you know, Nazi in germ form or something. So it's just, it's bizarre. I, that means, you know, it, it batters the Overton window. Like you, you and I can say nothing in the public conversation, which can even be recognized as acceptable or mainstream. And I guess that's also its purpose, you know? Uh, so, fine, then we won't say things or we won't imply that these things are mainstream. I, I think you have no option but to find a, a new route or a new third party power structure to be aligned with, uh, to find any long term or meaningful way of opposing this stuff. Or you, you have to plan to just let this stuff pass away and, and go in its own course. Uh, you know, the, the empire has to fall. And maybe that doesn't really require our involvement. Sure. Well, you're a shining example of Pythagoras school of thought and finding ways, you know, always around their, um, their regulations, their rules, their laws. On this topic, you know, we can't talk about this whole domestic terrorist, you know, quote, threat without talking about red flag laws. So institutions such as the Southern Poverty Law Center, <laughs> who no one really takes seriously anyway, have called you an extremist uh, in an April 2020 headline that says, quote, Cody Wilson uses COVID-19 crisis to re-enter extremist movement. <laughs> um, I, I hope I never left. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in July of this year, there was a bipartisan effort to allocate millions of dollars into a general fund for states to create their own new red flag laws. Um, do you fear that these red flag laws can be abused um, systemically abused and like, what's your take on these preventative measures that basically eliminate due process? Yeah, I mean, I, they will be abused. Um, the subjects of a documentary that I produced a few years ago called TFW No GF, like there was an event there, like at the very end of that production where uh, someone 
made a phone call and, and like I think it was Washington State Police uh, tried to take their guns, you know, under under the new red flag laws out there. And this was a few years ago, but still, you know, it, it portends everything. The, the judges are given ultimate discretion. You don't have substantive due process. And I mean, obviously, this implicates a constitutionally protected right and like more than it's more significant than than many others. And so, yeah, it's it's an end run around what's becoming, especially after Bruin, like this undeniably protected activity. <laughs> and it's conservatives see it as a compromise to like retain the respect of the left or something. And so they're willing to kind of go in. And I think, um, God, even my senator out here uh, was along with that with the last House bill that was passed for gun control, just, ex you know, expanding funding for people to enforce more red flag laws. And so it's just this it's this satisfying, compromising attitude that liberals know conservatives will go along with. But of course, liberals will never really be satisfied with. Uh, and, I, and I do think it's it's being used all the time. Now, in the example that I just mentioned in Washington state, like we were able to very quickly push back on that. And so if you can afford a lawyer right now, there, there's a lot of success uh, overcoming these red flag. I don't know, interdictions of your firearms. But, you know, it's a class thing at that point. If you if you don't have access to the courts, your evil ex-wife can take your guns away from you and there's really nothing you can do about it. That's its function. For sure. And now they're holding it over states heads to make them accept these laws because by withholding funding, you know, but some states have like, there's been 12 or 13 states who have passed themselves as second amendment, second amendment sanctuaries, you know, where they're not going to promise not to enforce any of that. And some of them are too toothless, I guess, but plus they don't work, right. They have uh, that, that guy, Kevin Limbaugh in California was red flagged and they took all of his guns in 2018. I think in 2019, he went, he was a mass shooter. He killed a cop and then started shooting at all kinds of other people before taking his own life. And everything that he had, all the guns that he had were illegal because he was red flagged. And they actually substantiated the the, the red flag against him. And, and was, he was barred from possessing guns or ever obtaining any more guns. And somehow this guy that was not even allowed to get guns, got guns and went on a mass shooting. So yeah. I, I credit it to some degree. Like I get I, I almost sympathize, I guess. The problem is I'm an extremist, as you pointed out. So there's really no reason for me to participate at this level of the debate. But, but I, I do get it. I have some sympathy. There's like statute of Northampton and all this stuff that liberals point to, you know, where there there does seem to be a civic or Republican tradition of of taking guns away from people who the community knows is is, is actually like terrorizing or capable of terrorizing the public. So, look, I don't want to act like it's completely bankrupt as an issue. It's just it doesn't benefit me at all to, to really go there. And usually when it's advocated in the courts, the, the liberals are doing it in bad faith. They don't really mean to, to connect it to our actual American tradition of farm regulation. Right. Yeah, it, it, I think the idea, too, that it just got rammed through bipartisan after these round of mass shootings there, and it seemed like that was kind of the impetus. So that's bothersome in itself. And yeah, as Matt mentioned, they just they don't work and it creates more violence. It creates more opportunity for uh, police to, to violate our rights. We, we wrote an article uh, covering some an interview that you did with this this uh, magazine called Brown and Company. The gist of the article is how 3D printed guns can help empower people who are under oppression currently, you know, and um, like in Africa, like imagine uh, some unarmed African mother who comes who watches her kids get hacked up weekly, you know, by warlords in their country. And if they could they could take the power back by 3D printing guns and everything, I, I, I was wondering if you have seen any examples of this balance of power happening anywhere in the world through the implementation of a 3D printed gun program in like in, in under a, a tyrannical rule. Sure. Uh, 
you know, the most I've seen so far are like propagandistic uses of 3D printed guns, especially like the FGC nine. If you guys know about that sub gun, right? The fuck gun yeah. control nine. Yeah. 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 Like the, uh, most recently, I remember like a photo of the IRA, like holding a press con. And it's funny because the IRA, despite its kind of terroristic heritage, really just wants to govern Ireland, like, you know, Rhode Island or something. <laughs> it's just right. a socialist, you know, like front, but uh, at least it has a military wing. And yeah, there you go. And so it's <laughs> the popularity of the FGC nine is is not it can't be in doubt. And it has this like this really resonant, uh, I don't know, imagistic purpose. So the, the RA are still showing, hey, we mean business. And then in one of these pressers, they had an FGC nine with the red Goliath flag, like really cool stuff. Um, but, you know, people also point to its use, uh, the FGC nine's use like in Southeast Asia and in like, you know, conflicts like uh, proxy conflicts with some of the, those those governments so I, I know it's being used it's being used to some degree at least for the purpose of image making but i can't really speak to it uh, beyond that yeah well that's awesome i mean that's enough you know you you flex your muscle big enough and it can scare the yeah. tyrants away you know um, yeah you know the, the most successful use of a homemade gun recently was the assassination of, of shinzo abe in japan right uh that wow wasn't, that wasn't 3d printed that was some kind of crazy little fabrication <laughs> with pipes and all kind of yeah. shit, man but you know it's a precursor to, to the printed guns like that i'm pretty sure it's a 4chan meme gun like i've seen you know like green text for how to make that gun and stuff floating around um so it i do feel like it's an like an internet produced gun and it does suggest a future uh, where 3d printed guns may be used you know in their place so um those are that's what comes to mind for now that actually highlights, though, just how useless these new laws targeting 3D printed guns are. I mean, if you have a CNC machine, you're able to. I mean, even if you have access to materials that you could use in like a high school metal shop, I mean, yeah, it's going to be crude, but you're still able to, to build a firearm to a certain extent. Yeah. And on that point, great segue. Uh, the state of California, you know, itself a communist country, has banned <laughs> CNCs and the use of CNCs to make guns and gun parts. They did this in uh, July of this year to very little, to very little press. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't think we heard that. about that. No, no, you, you Jason lives in California. <laughs> I am in California. It, this is AB, uh, AB 1621 and uh, its complement is SB 1327. But AB 1621 makes it a crime to possess a, a machine that's advertised to make guns or gun parts. It makes it a crime to use any kind of CNC to make a gun or a gun part. It also did this really tricky thing with precursor parts, um, what it calls precursor parts. It, it says anything that the feds don't regulate as a part of Biden's rule to ban kits, like you mentioned earlier. So anything that's not regulated by the feds is now illegal in California. So it's this really funny uh, like sandwich where it's actually like anything that's not illegal federally is illegal at the state level in California. So you can't even get 80 percent receivers, which remain legal, by the way, federally. You can't get them in California because they're not illegal uh, at, at a higher level. So. They've, they've done a lot with this stuff. And this was all post-Bruin, you know, like uh, the Bruin decision came out at the Supreme Court. We can talk about that. And as soon as that happened, California threw a fit and passed something like, you know, 16 new gun laws. And they were like basically just daring the public to to come and, and challenge them. And so that's what we've done. We've, uh, we're doing our part anyway. We teamed with the Second Amendment Foundation and just yesterday filed in California federal court, I think in the Central District, challenging, among other things, sections of AB 1621 and and 1327. 
Yeah, that's pretty crazy uh, that it didn't. So does it go after like blocks of aluminum and shit too? Like, if is is it is that banned or? Probably. I mean, probably. Like the the way the California law works is very tricky. They say anything that's kind of sold or bought that isn't regulated by the feds. So they've given themselves this limitless discretion, which is the new the new method. You know, because they realize, like we've been saying here today, you can make a gun from virtually anything now, uh, almost with any piece of modern equipment. And so therefore they have to basically tell you it's illegal to do it. It's illegal to have precursor components to do it. It's illegal to help other people aid and abet them to do it. And of course this has uh, no relationship to the history of, of privately made arms uh, and their regulation in this country. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that working at all. You know, we've seen we Jason and I were talking earlier, like brass knuckles for some reason are illegal in a lot of places and you can buy them anywhere in all these places where they're illegal because they sell them as paperweights so as, as long as you're not marketing a specific item as a gun and just maybe gun-shaped christmas ornaments or something like that you know i guess you'd probably be able to circumvent that 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 legislation i, I think in practical terms you're probably right but but actually to your audience listening i think that's exactly what they'll target and maybe they don't have the nerve to do it today or tomorrow but they've given themselves the power to do it and i've watched my space evolved since at least 2015 to where nobody felt they could regulate this stuff to where now they really do think they have the divine right to stop you from, from doing it. Uh, and there are very few companies, even after Biden's rule, that will sell to California or will sell 80% receivers online. So in large part, we can laugh, but uh, this stuff is working and we have to pay the wages to make it not work. And for example, I, you know, okay, yeah, it seems ridiculous and it seems like I could win this lawsuit, but I just pulled a Clinton appointee federal judge who's like 75 years old and you know probably won't give me the time of day sure oh shit yeah that's that's who you got for the lawsuit is that what you're talking about yeah well i mean that's that's your, probably your average draw out in california you know what i'm saying like sure. so yeah. we have to talk the politics here yes of course this is absurd shouldn't work should never have even made it into law and yet this will probably take five ten years blood sweat and tears uh, to get it even partially undone you know that's that's how this actually goes yeah. So, well, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jay. No, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, I mean, we, we should expect nothing less from a, a state who just actually banned or made it illegal for doctors to, to talk about treatments that may not be mainstream yet. And, you know, they could get uh, their licenses revoked if they question the established science on something like COVID-19. So, yeah, it's, so I'm not California is terrible. <laughs> you know, I didn't know about that, but it, yeah, exactly. It sounds exactly like what you'd expect. From, from Cal and then, okay, fine. Then now, like the medical, it's a cultural revolution. Like you can't even what develop new practices until it's peer reviewed for thirty years and approved by the FDA. You know, nothing's going to change. They're just like freezing. And I guess I'm speaking the obvious to a libertarian audience. But to give you an example, California isn't satisfied with just having like bullshit nonsense laws. They actually booby trapped their courts in this case specifically for Second Amendment plaintiffs. They like they they, they say go look up SB thirteen twenty seven. Even the governor legislature everybody they say well yeah what we're doing here is probably illegal uh but if you try to if you try to sue us and stop it um if you don't completely win like win out um you have to pay the california state attorney's fees and uh jesus and we'll have three years to sue you by the way to do it so you know that's itself completely illegal and completely inconsistent with the first amendment the right to petition the government for example and, and they know this. And so I actually think it's a proxy war, not just with the state of Texas, but it's a prelude to a civil war. It's a prelude to civil conflict or the breakup of this country. And when we talk about it in funny terms, I'm I, it's not funny to me. Like, I actually think I'll be a victim of California's shitty civil war. And it's like I'm choosing consciously to just do it now 
because I won't be stronger later. So I'll just do it now. But I actually, I take it with deadly seriousness. Great strategy, man. Great approach. Um, so does that mean regarding this law that the 0% receiver that you've kind of came up with and manifested, that's not like a feasible workaround? Yeah, I th exactly. So California's had three years to kind of build what their precursor parts regime and every year they change it. It's this guy, Mike Gibson, check him out. So I don't know who's feeding them this stuff, but clearly they updated their intel and they were like, well, we, we have to just go with it's illegal to make a gun now because even if we ban so-called 80% receivers or whatever, they'll just get around it. So clearly in the last year they've decided, all right, fine, you, you can't buy anything and you, you without a license, you can't make anything, which is the right way to go, by the way, or else we'd just be filing at the edges over and over. Um, if you're a tyrant, I'm just saying good, good tyranny in California. I actually just looked up the SB 1327 and um, it's, it's apparently it's like it's really bad man i mean it's completely unconstitutional so much so that the the aclu is actually opposed to it because it creates like a a bounty like what texas did for abortion to go you where you could hunt down and turn in people for for having an abortion below after six six weeks or whatever apparently yeah. that's the same thing that they're trying to do or have done with this uh sb 1327 yeah. which is i mean when you have the aclu who's completely lost their way in my opinion in the last five years opposing something as bad as that you know like yeah maybe that's the way you can defeat it is you get the the left and the right together to come you know to to battle that i guess maybe so i mean we can say hey congratulations california for overstepping even the, the most communist organizations and ngos in the country you know disagree so maybe california will show some show some shame uh, but we have it to do and so it's like okay yeah maybe my clinton appointed you know social justice activist judge would be like wow even 1327 is too far but I don't expect, I don't really expect a fair shake. I, I expect some procedural bullcrap because we're like a, a disapproved plaintiff. So I don't know. I, I don't mean to be too cynical. I'm just saying, yeah, okay, now you have its measure. This is really bad. Even the ACLU says it's bad. Uh-oh, we're in a worse place than we thought we were at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they're like, well, we don't give a fuck. We passed it. And then we're going to use it to hunt you down. And, yeah. and th yeah. those are the signing statements. So it's like, okay, I can sue California and get my butt kicked for suing them. Or I can wait for their for their bounty program for Giffords and every town and all these people to sue me anyway. Completely empowered by, this, you know, it's like, whoa, it, it's lose-lose for me. So, I, you know, maybe an ethical, um, some kind of lesson is to say like, well, they've changed they forced our hands, right? Like I, I can't wait around. I can't say I'm not interested in California. California is clearly interested in me. Uh, and so, you know, I have to attack. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's my own, def it's my only defense. Um, so maybe that's, um, oops, an, an irony of California's, you know, stringent communism. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're being too cynical, man. I mean, you've had your feet in this fire before, like you've been there. So you know how this process works, you know, exactly uh, the curveballs are going to throw at you, and we all know that it's a monopoly. It, there's no sense of uh, justice. There's there's no fairness involved. Do you have any predictions of just how far the feds will actually go to limit and regulate Americans and what Americans do in the privacy of their own home? I mean, we're talking about California here, but do you predict they're going to go even further with this? I mean, COVID blew off the ceiling for me in terms of my expectations. I probably did for everybody. So I think they'll do what they have what they have the budget to do. I think they'll mm -hmm. do what they have the popular demand to do. And they'll manufacture that demand, by the way. That's probably the purpose of the MIC and the intelligence agencies at this point. And, you know, with AI and everything else, it's like everything you'll see on Twitter from here forward is just a bunch of people demanding that we give up our guns and demanding that we be disarmed forever and ever. So uh, 
I, I tie any positive outcome to like um, economic and geopolitical dislocation and failure. Like, you know, hopefully Baghdad actually falls, you know, hopefully like the U.S. continues to be kind of cornered in a, like a, an emerging multipolar order where it it can't uh, just justify everything it does. It can't rely on the abuse of its currency and all this stuff. So now I'm giving you just pretty standard Peter Schiff stuff, I guess. But, but I, <laughs> I have to tie those things together, you know, and if the U.S. can only really abuse us because it still has this monopoly position in the world. And when it doesn't and it, its feet are back down to earth. It'll recognize that its uh, appetite is much bigger than its capability as for, you know, dispossessing us. That's why 3D printed guns are so, so important. You know, it decentralizes or rather distributes that power back to the to the people instead of I mean, controlling it into the central authority that can relegate whatever. <laughs> you guys mentioned Calgary, I think, or Vancouver, I forget. But, you know, Calgary. yeah. So if we want to do a little little simulation run. OK, well, Canada is just a few years ahead of us on this you know, contemplating freezing all transfer of handguns and stuff. Uh, no one can buy stuff anymore. And yet what's happening, right? This opprobrium about 3D printed guns because they realize, uh-oh, they've actually changed the incentive structure. And uh, now that's like going to be completely ubiquitous if they don't actually allow a private market of, of firearms. It's just going to be the only way to do it. And it will actually rapidly advance the technology for doing it in Canada. So, yeah, I, I think 3D is the way to go and it'll fill any vacuums that the U.S. insists on creating. Until they go ban the 3D printers, <laughs> you know, like that, they're just going to keep trying and chipping away. But like, that's the beauty of agorism is to work around that and produce a counter economy that functions in spite of that, in spite yeah. of the tyrann tyrannical oppression. And stuff. <clears throat> like a, this is where geopolitics, I think, is becoming interesting because, OK, you know, maybe we, they were in a position to ban 3D printers, let's say, like 10 years ago or something. But Chinese 3D printers have completely taken over. Uh, Chinese kit 3D printers, and they're so cheap. And it's like, even China knows this. And so even China, I think, as a matter of policy, is pushing printers and gun parts in America. Like, I, I think they see it as destabilizing, and they won't stop. It's like the same way they push fentanyl, you know, south of the border. They're going to make sure that uh, American dissidents are, are able to, to 3D print gun parts in the United States. <laughs> yeah, among funny. other things. that, And also that six-year-olds are confused about their sexuality. <laughs> yeah, they find, TikTok apps. They find that too. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all roads for China, but at least one of the roads is fun. <laughs> all, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned that there's a possibility that they'll manufacture outrage, and um, you know, we occasionally dip our toe in the conspiracy world, and I don't think it's completely outrageous to say that there are sometimes false flags that happen, and historically, that that has been the case. And I don't even know if you even want to talk about this, but like, do you personally have any speculation that these these mass shootings could be grounds for false flags to push more gun laws? Uh, absolutely. At, at this point, I think it's even a public instinct. I mean, you have to you have to be willing to entertain the idea like nobody accepts any narrative of Uvalde in Texas right now. For example, that's not controversial to say they fired the fucking police chief and uh, the governor admit he was lied to. It's like, OK, well, it's safe to say nobody knows what happened there why it happened uh and it's uh acceptable even to look into it and of course since there's a, a spate of coincidental mass shootings you know around that time i'm just choosing to center this this comment on uvalde but i don't have to we can center it on buffalo or we can center it on sandy hook because they just took alex jones you know to the cleaners for his comments on that i mean all i can say is that at any stage of analysis there's statements that are worth defending and worth keeping in the public domain 
not just for purposes of the freedom of speech, but you know, to preserve a, a healthy civic hostility uh, to the intelligence agencies, to, to the internet, to the use of, of public media. So without even hypothesizing, I would just say, yeah, I think it's healthy and it shows the, the lack of accountability of the government and the media that most of the public is at least willing to accept that the intelligence agencies are somehow involved yeah. in the production or I don't know, the concealment of these mass shooting events. Um, very interesting narrative. And of course, you mentioned Waco and Ruby Ridge earlier. I mean, Rules of Engagement was nominated for an Emmy on Waco. Okay, mm -hmm. conspiracy, as you mentioned more delicately than I will, conspiracy is a part of history. Okay, and it any conspiracy in its uh, nativity is just that a conspiracy. And when that conspiracy finally gains enough power, it is the power. Uh, and so what began as a communist conspiracy in, let's say, the early 1900s ended up becoming the powers that be with the FDR administration. I mean, we can just spend the rest of our time talking about how conspiracy <laughs> is backed in history. And so yeah. why wouldn't they use school shootings to accomplish their goals? Certainly. I, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I just never heard you talk about it before, so I wasn't sure if you wanted to dip your toe in that water, but great answer nonetheless. My toe dipped. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think if we if, if you want to go like full tinfoil hat, we would like to be able to go after 3D printed weapons. We'd have to see a mass shooting carried out with a 3D printed weapon. And, and um, well, yeah, I mean, even without conspiracy, right? Like that's a, OK. That's probably a good idea. OK, like if they really want to get rid of 3D printed guns, there should be a mass 3D printed gun shooting. And you know what? They'll get it uh, because Republicans don't love this stuff. I mean, this stuff is I'm I'm surprised it's really not banned at the federal level already. It actually speaks to the poverty of the powers that be and their inability to actually coordinate the state. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't mean to brag. I'm just saying, like, damn, you know, could they ban 3D guns if they wanted to? Well, one way we knew that they, they we know they could do it is if they used a mass shooting. Certainly. Sure. Yeah. And that would that would get a lot of the public support meh, behind it, you know. You know, to emotion. <laughs> it's crazy. So like the the where we and they could do some real damage with some of the new 3D printed weapons that I've seen be done, you know, like RPGs and shit. That's what I wanted to ask you about that. Like, so, you know, 10 years ago, the world kind of like freaked out when they saw the Liberator, you know, and it was like this rudimentary, ugly thing that could fire like one round, two rounds. And um, and it didn't last very long, but it was fucking amazing to be able to fire a round off from something that you could do in your house and make in a day, you know, and for, for pennies. And that's what was so awesome about it. But since then, you know, like you mentioned the FCG nine that like, we're talking about fully functional um, weapons here that are, that are yeah. badass that can, you know, do some, there's some of them I've seen that are fully automatic. And um, recently, even we've seen an RPG that the, the, the actual round that it fired was also 3d printed and it was loaded with like, some kind of fucking explosive that you could obtain easily and so like where do you think that that's going like i mean we fuck that's a fuck in 10 years we jumped from a fucking a little bitty like gumby looking gun that like came from a kid's toy room to fucking rpgs that could take out houses like where do you think we're, where the next step is in this i mean it's it's what you'd expect and and there's going to be stuff that you don't expect um you know, mm -hmm. I, I've seen this guy suck boy tony and it, that's a funny name but he's working on an incredible gun he calls it like his plasma pump rifle or whatever. I mean, it's a really incredible electronically powered stuff. Check it out. Just kind of a sci-fi 3D gun, you know, which which already like front runs uh, some of the conventional thought about how we just designed guns in the first place. So it's really like 3D forward. But at the same time, you know, 
there was a little bit of like we weaponized the philosophy of technology, you could say, when we did Liberator, because people were already saying in their or thinking in their minds when they see this unexpected firearm design, they're thinking like, well, then damn, like everything else is just going to spill out of this new kind of category of of technical development. And, you know, that's not necessarily true, but that's what we wanted people to think. And so it's easy to say with each new 3D printed gun, well, look, you know, like this rapid advancement when kind of a lot of us knew behind the scenes, a lot of this stuff was already possible. What you what you see in the FGC nine and, and other guns is, is just a different design approach, a different engineering approach. It's more of like a hybrid approach where sure, you know, if I if I have a metal barrel and a metal bolt, I can do a lot of stuff with 3D printing. And same thing with a with a flare launcher or like you said, like a grenade launcher. I mean, these things are actually really simple uh, to design and, and pretty basic. Um, and they always were, but it's good that the media doesn't really understand that and that they're so kind of abstracted away from the, the kind of crude reality of it. So to some degree, 3D printing guns is always about, uh, I don't know, hitting that, that nerve with the media and the public understanding of firearms technology. And it's basically always reminding people, not just of like a weird sci-fi future, but like about just how easy and close to home any type of firearm production is. So I'll just kind of add that subtle comment. Certainly, man. And with the the like the CNC where we could do our own metal barrels and 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 make our own metal lowers and everything like that's another that's a, that was a big game changer, right? So, oh, dude, yeah. And you know, a lot of communities were working very early on. Like the F, the FGC production, like probably began. And sorry, someone's knocking on my door. Um, what became the FGC nine? You know, began maybe almost immediately after Liberator in 2014. So some some things like the media doesn't understand the long road. Uh, that it takes to get there, but it's better when something just emerges, like as of you know ex nihilo or something. And I think that's the cool part of three D printed guns right now. Just the element of surprise, what what does and doesn't kind of touch the public consciousness, and then when it does, how it lends itself to our own propagandistic purpose. Um, and so we should we should maintain those things as our own kind of weapons. Yeah, there's uh, there's some badass websites out there. I'm not going to name any of them, but where there's there's thousands of three D gun um plans out there you know that are all different and some of these websites you can actually rate the like if people print them and, and use them and make them you know that you can actually rate them like a star rating like a user review you know so where you where people know which ones are the best working ones and i mean yeah. it's, it's open source self-defense empowering project that's amazing and yeah if the media knew half about it like half of the shit was going on you know they'd be they'd be doing hit pieces on it every day you you we wouldn't have to wait every four years to get uh <laughs> well, yeah. your, your bullshit, you know? we'll probably speed up you know what i mean and <laughs> since only since you mentioned the star ratings i i'm you know you may be thinking of one of my sites um defcad defcad yeah that's the one with the star ratings yeah and I know you mentioned, you know, you didn't want to say the name, but I have to plug my site, man. So I got to. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Like, I I, <laughs> I didn't know that that DefCAD was your site. I actually wrote an article and, and put it in there. I didn't know that that was a. Uh, yeah, yeah. OK. Awesome. You know, like Liberator is is kind of how we demoed. OK, cool. Here's the state of 3D printing technology. You can never kind of un, uncork the bottle, whatever. But really, the project itself was building DefCAD. And. Mm -hmm in my own mind, when I think about the history of 3D printed guns, it's really the history of that website because a lot of the litigation and the public and official opposition to 3D printed guns is actually just the opposition to that website. Um, you mentioned a Ninth Circuit opinion earlier, right? That was about uh, the federal decision regarding that website, our website. So, you know, the reality of this contest often comes down to just a few players and just a few ways of trying to put the files on the Internet. And so, um, yeah, it bears mentioning. 
Yeah, certainly. Sorry, man. I should have. I mean, I would have certainly plugged it like that, but I just didn't want to say the wrong website or whatever. And, it's okay. I just um, wanted there's, to. There's, there's a few of them out there, but DevCat. The other ones too, you know, to, to benefit the public if you want. I actually yeah, wanted yeah. to get into that. Yeah. So we were just talking about the FGC9 in October of last year, I believe it was, another 3D gun pioneer like yourself, Jay Stark, the man who created the FGC9, died of a heart attack at the age of 28 years old. That's a bit young for a heart attack. Do you have any thoughts on that? And also just kind of like a side question, is there like any other outfits out there that you kind of keep an eye on that are doing work within the 3D gun space? Oh yeah, dude. The main the main communities, they, they make themselves known. They are uh, the catalog, uh, what's called Are We Cool Yet? with a question mark. Um, there's a, a, a kind of lesser third party called uh, the Black Lotus coalition i think you know they they kind of merge into these uh ad hoc groups and i mean people come and go it's not the same community of people over time and probably the half-life of these designers is only a few years a couple of years it's a young man's game and it, there's not many ways to make money but um there are prominent solo designers now too who kind of go their own way and go independent like thinking of um tim hoffman and they're kind of public they use their names they don't just use fake names um and then there are people who are kind of in between who they they, they freelance for gun companies or 3D printed kit companies, which are now emerging after the rule. So I'm thinking of Invader Zip and I'm thinking of a company like 1776 Supply Co. So just just to sample a few things there. Those are the guys at the kind of leading edge. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. It's, it's kind of hard to monetize unless you do something like the subscription system, you know, where you could... Uh... You pay yeah. a monthly fee and you can have access to all the plans or something like that. I, I blame myself to some degree for this because when we when we kicked off like the culture, you could say, of 3D guns, it was decidedly open source, which I think it should remain. But there wasn't much mm, there wasn't much, I don't know, of a conversation with official industry. And I guess in the ferment, like where because I my first I don't know, retreat from 3D guns was from 2013 to 2018, you could say, while I was suing the feds. So I didn't yield much to the culture there. And we kind of let a bunch of more left-wing people like take over and, and establish the guidelines. And these people were decidedly like, you know, if you're paying in any way or working with, with the industry, that's somehow selling out. That's somehow uh, somehow antithetical to the, to the principles of, of open source gun design. I, I wish I would have pushed back in those days because that's still a prominent thread. At the same time, you know, like... Um, Hacking and open source culture is kind of Marxist. It's kind of leftish. And, you know, you are competing for clout more than money. And this is just how software projects go when they're open source. So it's weird and, and it, it, it affects us. I'm not going to say it like um, harms us yet, but I can see that it, it may in the future. Yeah. So back to the whole conspiracy theory thing again, uh, Jay Stark, as we were talking about, you know, he was he died of the heart attack, but it was like days after he was raided for his three printed gun. Yeah um uh i guess activities or whatever and uh we happened to like cover that back when it happened like that's that was like last year i guess um and I, we looked up the stats for having a heart attack at 28 and the stats are about it's like 0.3 percent of all heart attacks are people you know between the ages of 20 and 30 which is i mean not saying anything you know like if, if they were killing people left and right for 3d printed guns dude your head would have been on the chopping block first so yeah. i'm not saying that, that that he was done by the state but i mean it is certainly it's certainly fishy uh yeah you, you again like our conversation on conspiracy like you'd be wrong to not question that i think but there does seem to be enough evidence that he 
I mean, he even gave it himself, like in the documentary about him called Plastic Defense, which is still on YouTube. He seemed to suggest there was some congenital heart defect that he lived with. Mm. Uh, and mm. at least that's my understanding. And I would only be supposing, but I've seen enough evidence and third party commentary on this that like he more or less admitted, in fact, that he he lived with this medical condition. And so I would think that his like death is related to the raid and everything. It, it seems to be like a consequence of the stress that that event put on him. That's a good point. Yeah. So I never I, saw that. All I saw, cause he's, he was like a real cryptic guy, you know, he didn't even show his face and I, I didn't know that he ever talked about his, his congenital heart. I certainly would have noted that in the article that I wrote last October, but yeah, I, I don't mean to suggest that you, you know, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I know that's what we try to do here, man. That's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like, the final point on that is like, if I'm the state a European state, right. I, I mean, I, I'd want his head on a stick. I wouldn't kill him. You know, you'd, you'd want his, his scalp. So, pelt i think so in, in a way i i think his final like victory was was escaping that and his death did lend kind of cult power uh, to his design and to his his restatement of our you know principles from earlier and, and so it, it left it in this like uh really more powerful like internet underground place and this kind of fanatic it helped that he was like kurdish too so i i think it was like um like bojard says sometimes like events actually leap in and conspire with you to help like seal the symbolic event. And his death was like the most powerful thing that he could do. It made the FGC nine popular as motherfucker, man. Yeah. <laughs> I saw uh, like they, they even did a, they're doing like hit pieces on it now in British media. I watched a sky news report on them yeah. talking about the F, F, FGC nine where they uh, like, this was recovered from some yeah. whatever neighborhood in, in England. And um, yeah, all, all future projects will be, you know, measured against like the the weird, like divine power of, of the FGC, whose designer gave his life to popularize the design. I mean, that's that's metal, man. No shit. <laughs> He's they made him a martyr. <clears throat> yeah, they really did. So we have some audience questions. Um, if you don't mind, there's just a couple of them. Yeah, so sure. the first one was they wanted to ask like what the, f the initial first steps were for somebody to get into this world of 3d printed guns like where would what would be like the first initial steps obviously buy a 3d printer go to defcad um what else could you suggest just as like a initial breakthrough i guess i'm not i wouldn't even say go to defcad i'd say you know the ender and like reality like printers out there are really affordable i would get into one there's really good guides like on reddit and other corners of the internet where that will show you how to kind of set up and uh, there's there's a dedicated like indoor community and there's better firmware out there and so it's it's about like really familiarizing yourself with the tool and this is much easier to do than it was back in the day where it was way more trial and error and there's things like cura and there's there's software to help you understand how to how to basically prepare models for printing to the kind of more or less personal uh, specifications of your machine these are like the very basic things and to some degree some of the sites like mine like ghostguns.com you know, there, there are guides we'll put out. There are ways that'll show you like, okay, now that you're familiar with 3D printing or here, first get familiar with 3D printing, here's how you can kind of do more that's gun specific. Uh, and of course, there, there are big chat groups that you can get help from some of these more prominent people in the community who are willing to kind of filter off and, and point you in, in different directions and give you give you tips. But it's less homespun than it, than it was even a few years ago. And, and I'm who should I mention? There's this guy, the 3D print general. He's a good guy. He's got YouTube content that can help you out. With settings, uh, he's got a book on troubleshooting popular, you know, kind of failure modes and stuff in 3D printing. And I'm told he's working on a, a book about how to 3D print guns, for example. 
So this content's being slowly created. It's more or less about finding personalities who are big in the space right now and, and want to help you and then kind of go from there and, and self-study. Yeah, there's a bunch on YouTube I've noticed, and I, which is surprising. You think YouTube would be banning this shit left and right, you know? They are. They are. In fact, I mentioned the 3D Print General that YouTube like nuked all of his 3D content related to guns uh, just a few weeks uh -huh. ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. And so he's, for now, he's built like a second channel. But, you know, these things, they come and go on YouTube. Speaking of which, another question was, um, what's the best way to access 3D models and G codes without attracting any attention? Like, is there a VPN or Tor or like, what do you like? Um, you don't have to answer this question, of course. I think I think the best method right now is um, I have to be a little careful because I'm I'm always I'm still in a lawsuit with the State Department and sure. probably will be in one soon with the Commerce Department. But clearly, the best way to publicly access 3D gun files on the internet is is Odyssey, Odyssey.com, which is kind of a offshoot of the library blockchain project hmm. you know there's no there's no screening or recording of like any user session info from what i know and so that stuff's just totally free and clear there right now it's the best place to get it without having to like jump through any hoops so i'd recommend starting there perfect and uh, the last audience question, which is actually a fair question. I know it's a, a critique for a lot of naysayers about the 3D printed gun community, but they're always talking about ammo. If we can't print ammo, if there's if we're still dependent on ammo, then 3D printed guns aren't going to be as um, useful, I guess. So is in your opinion, is there a future for home production of ammo? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned a designer earlier, Suckboy Tony. Uh, his... One of his guns relies on homemade ammo, for example, and 3D printing is a part of that. Um, there, there have always been minor 3D printed ammo projects and, and DIY ammo projects that are like riders within the conversation, the greater conversation of 3D guns. So, you know, it, it bears, it's, it's worth pointing out that that conversation is always being had within our community as well. And it's not that we just accept as an article of faith that commercial ammo or mill syrup will always be there. Although it is a political reality that like, there's a lot of surplus ammunition, which, you know, is one solution uh, to your political problem for, for a fair amount of time. But, uh, but you know, even I'm working on some ammo stuff. I mean, like everybody's always thinking about it, chewing on it. Uh, and so we ha it's not forgotten. Uh, and we hope to, to overcome some of the obvious commercial limitations. With the prohibition of all the chemicals that are used in bullets, it's like it's very hard to do that at home since it's like a you know, it's your own, you have to make these, make gunpowder, which you're not going to be able to buy anywhere. I mean, yeah. they have explosives on the market, but like Tannerite, but that requires a certain, uh, you know, a certain bullet uh, velocity, muzzle velocity of a, a weapon to be able to even blow up. So it's not like yeah. you could load that into a bullet or anything. But, you know, we should, uh, where there's a will, right? Uh, life overcomes. And so like the assassin in Japan, for example, I heard he, he scavenged his gunpowder from, fireworks and uh, i mean this is some pretty common stuff what what else uh you know jay sark who we mentioned uh, was in germany and he had to basically like scavenge nail gun primers and you know what i mean it's like uh, but he made it happen and he made it happen outside of a context of directly accessible commercial or military ammunition so if they can do it you know what i mean it, it's right we can do it and and there are really popular uh homemade diy ammunition not just cartridge, but primer manuals out there. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff there. And maybe 3D technology doesn't directly touch it, but it's still, you know, it's still an intimate involvement with us. Certainly, we just need the means of production for 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 explosives. That's all. You know, we just need to seize that means. Yeah. And we'll be good. <laughs> 
it's it's easier you know i'm telling i i work with a guy who has connections to i mean he has an explosives lab and so, you know we're always talking about binary mixtures and three-part mixture and there's lots of stuff that's not regulated by atf and is only regulated by department of transportation i think in, in large part this development can't really happen successfully in the u.s because we have so much ammunition available here and it's just not necessarily that fruitful um and you just go buy bullets sure sure and yeah. but we did begin to see like in the in the covid like supply shortages okay you know, primers became a really hard thing to get a hold of and so you like sig and some other people announced that they'll start up their own primer production but that's still another year or two out but we have seen the bottlenecks and in this the problem should be answered i, I don't look i don't pretend to know the answer but i, I hope to work on it yeah well that's the beauty of something like this this decentralized movement where all kinds of millions of minds come together and and hive not necessarily mind. for a hive minded purpose but to implement different ideas and bounce them off of each other and lead to progress <clears throat> no doubt so we're getting close to the hour mark here um again thank you so much for your time so we have uh we have two options we could either get into uh what we always try to talk about at the end of our podcast which are solutions or we could do um the rapid fire question section uh, or both, if you if you have a little bit of time. We only have four questions for the rapid fire, and that could be quick. Just hit me with it, man. All right, so we'll take a, a quick break from all the deep uh, intellectual philosophy stuff and just do some rapid fire questions. Um, no longer than a 30-second response. I only have four of them, but it's just kind of to, I don't know, break past the exterior of Cody Wilson and just get to know you a little bit better with some fun questions. So question number one, the zombie apocalypse is here. You have a choice between an AK or an AR as the last gun on earth. Which one do you choose? Yeah. You know, I used to have an old AK, so I, I would say I've made up my mind. It has to be an AR. I'm determined to stick to my telluric qualities in, in Arkansas or Texas. So there'll be more ammunition in Texas and Arkansas for an AR. Perfect. All right. Doc Brown just gave you the keys. You have enough plutonium to travel anywhere in time. What year do you go to? I can only make one trip. Just for the sake of rapid fire. <laughs> uh, tough, tough question. Man. I guess I'd like to hang out with Thomas Jefferson or something. So, you know, okay. one, maybe when he's president or maybe when he's like a minister to France or something. Sure. Okay. Question number three. You're coming out of the locker room to a WWF cage match with The Undertaker. What song is playing? Because I'm walking out? Yeah. <laughs> Your intro song. I'm talking about how I'm going to die. Uh, <laughs> it's not, you, know, I, you know, because it's The Undertaker, right? And he, I think he's retired. I, I, would, I would give him his due. I would play something like from the 90s, you know, like some. Uh, I, I can't think of something specific. Maybe some What's Black Sabbath, you know. What song gets you pumped up? Is there like one song that just really does it for you? Mm, good question. <laughs> uh, I'm this DJ from the 90s right now. I, I think her name's Angela Taylor. Okay. But uh, I listen to NTS right now. So it's mostly just sets and stuff, just electronic stuff that's hard to ID. But, um, nice, man. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a certified audio engineer. I went to school for all that stuff. I used to make electronic music. So that's a, that's a good answer. And last question. Is Alex Jones really Bill Hicks? <laughs> you 
I never met Bill Hicks, but I, I you know, I've close. I think they're different people. <laughs> it's probably one of the most outlandish conspiracy theories yeah. that I think I've ever heard, but some, some way it just keeps sticking around. So I just thought I'd throw it at you. I like it. Um, <laughs> I do like it. And there are really powerful similarities, but, uh, but no, Alex, Alex is his own man, dude. Pretty sure. Well, Matt, unless you have any more questions, maybe we could hit that last solutions question and, and uh, wrap it up. Yeah, no, I'm good, man. Yeah, let's do it. So the, the media calls you a crypto anarchist, Cody. Some of them call you a libertarian. I'm sure our schools of thought has some overlap. But do you envision any scenarios for a peaceful revolution or a peaceful evolution, I should say, rather than um, national politics ending in a civil war or prolonged periods of violence? Uh, you know, like, are, is our people really a people capable of prolonged periods of violence? Probably not. Not this people. So maybe peace is the only answer. And that's why everything's so bad right now, because it, we have to wait until we find some peaceful transition point. Hmm. And it's just taking so long. And uh, we'll probably take a depressingly longer amount of time. So uh, do I really believe in like a, a, an impending civil war? Not really. And yet I am at the kind of leading edge of some of these indicators, like what California is doing with its courts. And, you know, yeah, or, and fair enough, Texas created this this bounty situation, too. So this is new. You know, this is a departure from the republic that I was born in. We're probably not living in a republic now. We're living in something else which masquerades as a republic. Interesting to know that. But then if we look at the histories of other empires, we recognize it was many hundreds of years uh, before like the Roman imperial period resolved in something like, uh, you know, a civic peace. Yeah. With the, today's uh, information exchange, you know, I think we can hopefully realize that a lot sooner before we start, you know, eating each other. I mean, mm, you know, Peter Thiel, is it true that Peter Thiel just bought Dominion voting systems or is about to, did you guys see that? Didn't see that. You know, it's know. like, I can see like a strange edge case where like the right does kind of at the end overcome, American libertarianism and, you know, the left. But I, I don't know that it's meaningful to use these old historical categories this way. Hmm. Most likely, the progressives are just going to sink the country under a system of patronage and racialist patronage and just all this kind of bullshit. And, uh, and it'll just all break. And we'll just have to figure out how to keep it from not being like South Africa for 400 years. Um, that's, that's tough. I, I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to leave. I don't know where you go, you know? Uh, yeah, I've there's personal to- solutions, but as far as societal solutions, there are none. You know, it's it's hard to bring a whole society out of a government or uh, an entire governmental organization or political organization collapsing. It's hard to to protect society. You know, people are going to suffer. It's going to it's going to be terrible. I've been a lot of time thinking about the Second Amendment and its weird Republican origins and stuff. And you know, like uh, let's see, some 1950s literature for you. Like Garrett Garrett has this essay called "The Revolution Was," and he has other essays that are similar to it about how like, well, actually, you know, whatever was this country, like it became this weird Soviet, like uh, military engine somewhere between the 1930s and the 1950s. And he uses like this, a really great example. Like when we went to Korea, um, it used to be that the civic power controlled the military power and everyone understood that. And then we get this, this, these periods of episodes of senators being like, well, who am I to question? you know, an admiral of, of the United States. Well, okay, that's that's a moment then where you know that like the civil power is subordinate to the military empire power of this country. And there is no questioning that is it is a great and terrible empire. And probably through the UN and other institutions, it accomplished something like world domination. So 
I don't know how you get away from that. Uh, I would just like to pretend. I don't know. How about this? I would like to not pretend um, that what we're doing here is like Republican or Democratic. It, it's not, you know. No, not at all. And Garrett Garrett was saying that shit in the 30s and 40s, man. If yeah. you were alive today, it'd be. I wonder what he'd think. <laughs> yeah, uh, Garrett Garrett's really good on the on the Roosevelt, you know, administration, the revolution of the state, and then his writings of the 50s and some of the John Birch stuff. I mean, it's all very good. But its mistake is thinking in democratic terms, like it could somehow, if it changed public attitudes, it could somehow correct all this. And we saw how that like didn't matter and you know continues to not matter um president trump you can you can elect something like president trump who sure like he didn't necessarily stand for anything but even if he did does he really have a meaningful ability to 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 change the inertia of the, of the administrative state the welfare state the military state you know like I, I don't think there are good answers to these questions no no one person cannot do that and we've seen that the president is all but a figurehead in this country that just represents them he gets shuffled out onto the podium to so he could just tell the people what the people that are telling him that what's going to happen. You know, he has no meaningful power or authority. I mean, even executive orders aren't even written by the president now, you know. Right. <laughs> the legislation isn't really written by the legislator. And so maybe that's, you know, I, I try to take a conservative revolutionary approach. Um, I, look, I, you mentioned at the very beginning of the question, like whether I was a libertarian or not. I think at one point I was, and maybe I still am. I mean, dispositionally, you know, I still believe in individualism. <laughs> I think I'm still a liberal because I was born in the 20th century or whatever, but uh, so I can't help those things. But when I look at, you know, like Armin Moeller and, and Ernst Younger and, and their approaches, they're, they're kind of like indebted to Nietzsche, who, who's not a reactionary. He's not, re he's not rejecting liberalism or conservatism from a place of reaction. He's saying like, well, neither of these are really good solutions and we have to accept radical technology and we have to still preserve things that we think are worth preserving but but i don't think there's like a legitimate road to return to like the divine right of kings or anything like that or and of course we created a a republican constitution in in i don't know the 18th century but it still became this and i don't pretend to be smart enough to know how to make it not become this um, it's telling to read like letters between Madison and Jefferson, right? Where Jefferson's talking about the French Revolution and he's saying, well, why shouldn't we take the nobility's property, <laughs> you know, like dispossess the nobles? And, and you're like, hmm, you know, this, we're just kind of loyal to a, an older mythologized form of, of Whiggish politics, which was itself like the weird leftism of the day. And I don't know how to assert a limiting principle on it. And therefore, I don't really know where I am in the tradition of American libertarianism. I know that I'm a conservative revolutionary. I am determined to give my life and fortune to preserve your right to keep and bear arms. So put me where you will. Here. Great answer, man. Yeah. And uh, I think here at the Free Thought Project, we're just eternal optimists when it comes to the idea of intellectual evolution. And it might be naive. It might be to our own detriment. But I feel like that's maybe what keeps us going and, and keeps our head on straight with, mm -hmm. a, with a positive attitude. But your answer was incredibly real and raw and honest. And I think we need to examine that because we can't live in a fantasy land either, or a utopia in our heads, as some people would call it. So, but yeah, thank you so much, Cody. Um, you know, just a little bit as a closer here, I've been in this world, me and Matt have been in this world uh, for 10 years now with the Free Thought Project and the fight for accountability does get exhausting. I do get jaded occasionally, but it's people like yourself who inspire me and people like yourself that look to the future to envision 
what it could be and to counteract and stay one step ahead of those trying to steal our freedom and to chain humanity. So with that said, you're a living liberty legend and uh, it's a pleasure getting to talk to you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you guys. And thank you for your work as well. I, I really appreciate it. Right on, brother. Thanks, man.